takes more than laziness, impatience, and hubris to be a great engineer. This is episode 183 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development, and I share old Larry Wall quotes. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that laziness, impatience, and hubris are kind of soft skills? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yeah, that's a good point. So they're very applicable. Yeah, this was a quote by Larry Wall, the inventor of Pearl, and it's kind of pithy, and he has definitions that make these sound actually like good things. But ignore those and just focus on being lazy, impatient, and hubristic? Hubri <laughs> What's the adjective form of hubris? It's hubri. Hubri. <laughs> Huey. <laughs> Be Huey. Yeah. Do you want to talk about our wonderful patrons? Yes, thank you to those who are giving us so much cash that we are able to make our yacht payments every month and also pay for our hosting, which, by the way, is getting more expensive. Thank you to all of you listeners, which we love. They are Matthew Voidovich, The Agile Ventures Charity, Bartek Tatkowski, Ted Nugent, Crash Bandicoot, Zach Granham, Maple Syrup, Luis Santos, Kriska Kanapka, Piska Jopka, Nick Kantar, Vinlock, Taras Haroog, Sean, Sonny Ty, Brittany Ellick, Sonic the Hedgehog, Ivor Robotnik, Florian Tatzel, Murray Rousseau, Chris Hogan, Dimitri Anson, and Stanley Tactical Radio. Whew! Whew! <sighs> nice work! I'm like the micro-machine guy from the 80s who did the commercials. I was maybe not alive then. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> oh. I knew it was a risky reference. <laughs> okay. If you would like to support the show financially and get invited to our Slack community, which is growing and awesome, just go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. Thank you so much to everybody. Soon the Lego model yacht will be real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to read our first question. This is from an anonymous listener. I work in a small team under 10 people on a new project that should be shipping soon. I have a manager who is leading this project, and I'm the most senior developer on the team. My manager tries to help with the project by writing code, but does it rather poorly. When he wants to implement new functionality, he creates a new branch and brews his code in this branch for two to three months, constantly complaining how hard it is to write code in our code base. After he is done, the resulting code is unreadable, unmaintainable, and untestable. He doesn't write unit tests himself, which is weird considering he worked as QA before for several years and usually breaks good portions of already written ones. I always have to go into his branch and refactor his code so it's at least testable, fix broken unit tests, and write new ones for his functionality. He always makes it look like our code base is hard to work with, though the rest of the team doesn't have this problem. How should I deal with this situation? I tried speaking to him directly, but he is pretty stubborn and thinks that he is doing everything perfectly. I can't talk to his manager since we have a pretty flat company and his manager is the CEO who I don't have direct access to. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Huh. <laughs> wow. This question caused some soul searching because I still write some code. And you're a manager. I am a manager. Is it terrible code? I think it's great code. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you constantly complain about how hard it is to write code in your code base no i don't think so but there's definitely some some power dynamics there when your manager is the one submitting a pull request versus when it's your peer a developer mm -hmm. it's much harder to reject a pull request and say hey this is not good <laughs> <laughs> you did this in the bad way <laughs> Yeah. So, Jameson, how often have you gotten negative feedback on your pull requests? I mean, I get feedback if it's breaking things. And we have this cool invention called continuous integration where it tells you if the unit tests break. Ah, what a novel idea. Yeah, it's the computer's fault. It's not someone else's job to point it out to me if I break all mm, the tests. Yeah. And I also don't, I certainly don't work on new features that are 
important for shipping the product at all. I, I won't go off and brew a branch. I love the phrase like brewing it, <laughs> brewing know. your code. It's so fermenting. <laughs> There's some yeast and bacteria and all kinds of stuff going on in it. But yeah, I don't do that. I don't go off and work on something for months unless it's a thing that would take me two days of dedicated time and I just don't have those two days. So it gets spread out over two calendar months? Yeah, but but not not large scale work. Okay. So I've convinced myself I'm I'm not this bad. Okay. Whew. Question answered. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. It's all about, this is all about you. Let's be honest. You're welcome, listener. <laughs> oh man, this is such a hard situation. I mean, if it weren't for these th- few follow-up points, like I, I've already tried speaking to him directly, but he's really stubborn and he thinks he's doing everything perfectly. <laughs> and I can't talk to the CEO. What do I do? Well, yeah. this is hard. And you're the most senior engineer on the team, which means you're the only one who can yeah. solve this problem. It's all on your shoulders. Yeah, it's kind of your job. Hence why you've turned to Dave for his <laughs> sage wisdom. Oh, man. And there's so much wrong with this situation, too. Like, the fact that the manager is building, like, big, complex features that takes two to three months, and they, you know, move the project in a new direction and cause all this harm when they try to merge them. Oh, the fact that the manager's even in the critical path is probably itself problem worth addressing yeah and the fact that they're stubborn and don't take feedback well from engineers working in the code base and the fact that they used to be a tester before this and don't write tests well it's like how i used to have to do homework at school (laughs) and now i'm i never have to do that again and i wash my hands of it good riddance oh true I've done enough testing for a lifetime, so exactly. you, you can yeah. write my stupid test for me. <laughs> I've paid my testing dues. And you can fix all the tests I broke with this change. <laughs> this is so rough. Okay, so let's let's back up. Jameson, as a yeah. manager, why do you sometimes write code in your code base when you know you probably shouldn't be? Sometimes it's to escape hard problems <laughs> that I don't know how to solve. <laughs> There's some tricky thing ahead of me to deliver some bad news. I have to weigh two difficult trade-offs, and I choose the third option, which is, why don't I go fix that little very low-priority bug that's been <laughs> nagging some people for a couple weeks? That, that I just discovered five minutes ago and <laughs> probably doesn't matter. Yeah. Why don't I just do some therapeutic refactoring? <laughs> you know what? We need a new linter. <laughs> Too many tabs here. These should be spaces. I've got some really hard feedback to deliver to a coworker, but boy, do we need a new linter. <laughs> yeah, part of it is that. Part of it is trying to shelter the team where if their head's down on, uh, sometimes my goal is to be interruptible so the team is less interrupted. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's little things I can crank out that aren't on the critical path, but are still useful to someone else and I, and it avoids them having the context but the worst case is when i feel like oh we just need more engineering minds on this and i will do it because we we just need more people on it that's the case where it usually goes the worst yeah how about you dave what about me just all of yourself <laughs> um, <laughs> when you've been in management have you still written code and if so what what led you to do that yeah, I, I have. I mean, I guess one, one other reason is I want to stay in touch with what it is like to work in the code base. Yes. I don't want to totally lose touch. Yes. And so I was very careful never to take on critical path tasks, except one time. And honestly, I was guilty of being a hero, kind of swooping in and rescuing a, a project. Yeah. 
that was a mistake in hindsight. But there were there were other times when I thought, okay, here's a cross-cutting concern that no single team will, you know, I was actually managing about seven or eight teams at the time, and there was no single team who would own the solution. It was a cross-cutting problem. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm going to work on this in my free time. And I used kind of nights and weekends to work on this thing for a, a month or so and to try to help manage this issue. And it, it was okay. And then other than that, I just try to do occasional small fixes and just stay the heck out of the way of your teams. Yeah. which sounds like is a lesson this manager needs to learn. I just don't know how to make them learn it. How do you learn them this lesson? Yes. <laughs> right. Did anyone um, ever complain to you or approach you about it? Any developer on any of your teams? No one did. But, you know, there's this power dynamic problem yeah. that I think a lot of managers just don't recognize because they don't feel how effectual the power dynamic actually is on the other people. Certainly. And so no one, no one approached me about it. Also, I had... I had been one of the very early team members, individual contributors on the project. So I had a ton of context. And that was actually yeah. another another big problem for me was how to transfer that context to others to empower them to not have to come to me and ask me questions like, how should we do this? And that was something I probably could have done better too. None of these things are lessons this boss has learned, apparently. Yeah. I mean, bruise code in this branch for two to three months. How is he being a manager if he goes to code for two to three months? Well, maybe it's the kind of thing where he starts things, but then gets, you know, deprioritized for a while and then comes back to it and the branch rots and now he's got to do a big merge. And Yeah. You know, and he just force pushes over everybody's stuff. <laughs> I'm the boss. Get out of my way. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I, I do see one problem here that might be solvable, which is this senior engineer who wrote in with this question says he himself is fixing a lot of the issues, fixing the merges, fixing the broken tests, writing new tests for this boss. Basically, you're enabling this behavior because you're allowing his code changes to get done. And without you, he would not be able to do anything. Other than yeah. sit around and complain about the code base. <laughs> Unless he's saying it, it's like a train coming to hit your code base. It's like, hey, I'm going to click this merge button in right. four days. <laughs> Whatever's in there is is going into master. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually just remembered a, a situation that happened where it wasn't with code, but I was managing a team that does some other not code related tasks, technical, but non coding and i kind of jumped in to help i was like oh they're they're a little swamped i know a little bit about this i can i can step in and help and i did it and i didn't know the context around their process and how they managed the work and how they tracked it and followed up and some of the context around how help affects further requests from (laughs) from customers Mm. and one of the folks on my team reached out to me and was like hey if you're gonna help you have to do it right. Like you have to follow these processes. Here's why we do these things. And I want to be like this person when I grow up. They're really great. And they're also very, very good at being direct. Ah. And it was kind of eye-opening because in my mind, I was I was helping, you know, I was, I was like, this is just some extra help I'll sprinkle on. Yeah. And so maybe it's not as important that I follow all the rules because it's like free, it's free money, you know? Yeah, you get what you pay for, people. Why are you complaining? Yeah, but but they pointed out to me, hey, it's not free. I mean- it's nice to help out, but it has consequences and affects our further work and relationships if you just kind of swoop in and do things your own way. And that was very eye-opening to me. And I wonder how you get that message across if you've already tried speaking to him directly. Exactly. I was just thinking, that sounds exactly like the kind of conversation this manager would not get anything out of. <laughs> yeah. I'm just staring at all your good ideas you wrote, and I want you to say them. Oh, <laughs> Okay, I shall say them. So this manager has a little bit of a self-delusion. According to the question, it says, quote, he thinks he does 
everything perfectly. So I think you, the only way to disavow someone who has this level of illusions of grandeur and self-perfection is to present them with cold hard facts. And maybe that means that you have to start tracking defect rates or time to merge or some other metric that you can find that shows that the rest of the team is working at one level and your manager is working at one very much worse level. Hmm. And the goal is, I assume, to show the effect on the team as a whole. It's not just, hey, you're bad at this. It's, hey, when you do this thing, the team slows down. Hmm. That would be a very productive way to think about it. I was thinking of it kind of in the shorter term of just trying to disavow him of this notion that he's doing okay. everything perfectly. Yeah. But I think your approach is actually more productive. Like drill sergeants have to break recruits in, in boot camp. <laughs> That's right. Or break them down first. <laughs> and then you can build him up after yeah. at your new job. that you got fired from yeah i mean this person sounds like a difficult personality to deal with on the one hand he thinks he's doing everything perfectly he causes a lot of trouble and he complains vocally a lot my guess is that your ceo is already aware of these personality traits and is probably already bothered by them unless they're just completely insulated who knows but another thing you could do is you could apply the jameson dance tried and true technique of doing nothing (laughs) And then over time, this guy might be gone anyway. Yeah. I mean, presumably the job of your manager is to make your team better and they are making the team worse. Mm -hmm. And if if the conversation has been focused on kind of technical details of, hey, when you when you the question mentions code that's hard to unit test, you know, so then that could get you bogged down into lots of opinion based discussions about dependency injection and and kind of like pure functions versus versus object orientation, all these techniques you can use to write unit testable code. But in my mind, the core problem isn't that they're not writing unit testable code. It's that they're having a negative effect on the team as a whole. Yeah. And maybe if you raise the discussion up to that higher level, in, instead of saying like, hey, please brew your branches in this better way. <laughs> yeah. If you can say, hey, we got this, you know, like we we need you to focus on these other tasks so that we can focus on the technical things. And when you contribute technically like this, it it slows the whole team down. Yeah. And, and that's a discussion you can bring data to as well. If you just say, hey, I spent, I don't know, 10 hours last week integrating your branch and fixing issues and that time isn't worth it. Yeah, that's a great idea. The other thing I would consider is try creating automation and mechanisms that make it so that you don't have to be the bad guy or the cleanup guy. Meaning, try to get your boss on board with creating new policies, automated policies, about how code contributions get made into your code base. You're talking about like code coverage and yes. unit test passing and stuff like that. Exactly. Like yeah. branch merging. Like To have a branch merge, first, all the existing tests must pass. And secondly, your code coverage cannot go down without an exception being granted or something. And then when your boss writes new code, and it breaks existing tests, the system will stop him from merging them. Or if your boss writes new code and fails to write new tests, then the coverage percentage will drop and the system will stop him from merging them. Now, this might just give him more things to complain about. (laughs) 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 But now at least you're not the gatekeeper. Code coverage is a plot by the Illuminati to poison our minds. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Having to feel like you have to jump in for very easily technically verifiable things, like the tests are all broken, does feel bad. (laughs) And that has a technical solution, which is way easier to 
to implement. The other thing you could do is try to figure out why, we talked about this a little bit, but try to figure out why your your manager is getting involved at this level. And <laughs> maybe the problem is they don't have enough management problems to deal with. So you could create some management problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, start a power struggle. Uh-huh. Try to get your your cousin hired. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Create some like romantic drama on the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would that would give them something to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Easy. Just run interference. I'm certainly guilty of like I said earlier, I'm sometimes guilty of of avoiding these fuzzier higher level management people issues and just diving into code. But at mm-hmm. least I know that I shouldn't do it, you know? Like, <laughs> I have things to do. Sometimes I just don't want to do them. Right. But maybe maybe they aren't aware of what they should be doing with their time, in which case you need to, like, I don't know, sneaky mentor them, <laughs> drop <laughs> management books at their feet on accident. Oh, whoops, what's And that? see if they're interested in, in it. Oh, oh, look, it's... Uh, my my copy of Andy Grove's high output management that just slipped out of my hand. <laughs> Weird, it's marked already in some certain passages. <laughs> That's huh. what we call stealth mentorship. What do you know? It's the making of a manager by Julie Zoe, and it it it's on Kindle, and it, I tripped, and it emailed itself to your device. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Okay, so those will all work. Yeah, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> Any other advice we have? No, I got nothing. I mean, this is a very tricky situation, and I would love to hear how it turns out. So this might not help you, but one potentially one benefit for the listeners is if you go on to become a manager, you should know this is this is a bad way to do things. <laughs> like, do not do this. Put Put this on the bad list. Yeah, try to be very, very aware of how, if you are going to contribute technically, how those technical contributions affect the team and how the power dynamics go into that as well because it can cause weird stuff like this. Yep, question answered. All right, question answered. Do you want to read our next question? Sure, this one comes from another anonymous listener who says, I work in a digital agency as part of a team of five front-end developers with varying levels of experience. We don't have a senior slash lead slash director. It's pretty flat. I have been told by management that we need to work on peer-to-peer mentorship because each of us have been guilty at some point of spinning our wheels on some problem when we should have reached out. The problem is we all work on different projects. There's never two front-end developers building the same site, and each site kind of feels like its own unique bowl of spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any pointers about breaking out our code bubbles, that would be amazing. I love the show. I hadn't given non-technical skills much thought, but you've opened my brain. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, listener. What I can tell from this is that your company is living Conway's Law perfectly. Wait, give me the Conway's Law definition. Okay, Conway's Law is an old saying that says that organizations tend to produce software systems that mirror their own organizational structure Okay. by Melvin Conway in the 60s. And that's exactly what we have here. You have a disorganized mess of an organizational structure and your code base is a disorganized bowl of unique spaghetti. (laughs) It's perfect. I'm pretty sure Melvin Conway is on Twitter. Or it's one of those accounts like Dykstra quotes that maybe he's dead and it's someone tweeting on his behalf. Is. Wikipedia says is a computer scientist. Yes, not dead. I'm pretty sure he's on Twitter. Oh, yeah. His name is Conway's Law. Yeah. 
Wait, that gives me Conway's solicitors in England. Oh, it's Conway's underscore law. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the dude. That's him. There you go. So you can follow him for tweets and also read his quote on software from 1967, yeah. <laughs> which is just wild to me. <laughs> what, the the fact that it's so old is wild or what? Yeah, no, the fact that he's he's this font of, of kind of in software life's bands ancient software wisdom but also he's just kind of still around tweeting about halloween stuff <laughs> and also computery things all right okay that was my answer to the question okay <laughs> go follow Con- melvin conway on twitter you're good yeah okay yeah back to your good idea so this follows conway's law because it's a mess <laughs> yes exactly and it's also a mess yeah, that's right <laughs> your org is a mess your code's a mess what huh. perfect so the digital agency part is kind of unique here because I imagine you, there might be some separate billing, like maybe you're billing hourly for each of these projects. And it does seem like it would be hard to have a cohesive team when you're all on separate projects. And there's this additional thing that they're all kind of four different clients and companies. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of this loosely affiliated group of people. Yeah. And you're not accountable to each other. So like if your code sucks, you're the only one that will ever know it because you're the only yeah. one that works on this project. It sounds like there's five engineers and they're all working on five projects or rather e- each. I mean, the clients certainly won't know it. <laughs> Yeah, they won't know if your code sucks. It'll just be you. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's one of the great advantages to working in teams is that you feel this sense of obligation to your teammates to create well-architected, well-factored, and readable code, documentation, and things like that. But if you're working in isolation, it's really hard to do that. So I think actually this peer-to-peer mentorship idea is not terrible. How do you do it, though? Because the question mentions that the projects are pretty different. So it's not like... I imagine they don't have a lot of context into problems on other projects. Yeah. And you you could share that, and that's just time is is the cost there. A lot of overhead. Yeah. There are some community groups I'm a part of where people will talk about technical problems they're encountering at work. And it's this similar-ish situation where it's not people who work together. They don't have much context on the problems. And there's a lot of willingness to just help out in general. So you could kind of form one of those at work. It it sort of becomes more of a stack overflow model where you have to put in a lot of work to give context. Yeah. And it's more tactical questions, not someone auditing your code base and, and noticing things for you. Right. But that's an option. What I found is that when you have people who don't have a lot of context on your project and you need to get help with a problem, sometimes just the act of assembling the context in a way that can be shared with them will lead you to a solution. Mm. So I wouldn't necessarily walk away from this idea of paying the overhead price of collaborating with your peers, even though they don't work on your same code base, because it could be that the very act of putting that together leads you to solving the problem that you are trying to solve. Another cool thing about this peer-to-peer mentorship idea is if everyone's doing it, the cost is shared kind of equally across all of your projects, but also the benefit is shared equally. And theoretically, the benefit outweighs the cost for everybody. So it's not just one person kind of sinking all their time into helping everyone else. It's everyone helping each other out a little bit. Yeah. One thing that has been helpful on my team, we're we're still working on related projects most of the time, and it's for the same company. So it's a little bit different dynamics, but sometimes they're pretty different projects. And we still do a lot of ad hoc pairing where people just, just know, hey, someone might reach out to you to pair program on something. And it might not be the task you're working on. And it's it's a good trade-off to take some time off of your project to pair with them on their thing and vice versa, they will return the favor. It's it's this culture of kind of reciprocity. And how much time do you find that people need to spend ramping up when they do that? I mean, 
like I said, it's different. It's not agency work. And it's it's usually an hour or two at a time. And I don't know, maybe the first 15, 20 minutes of that is just kind of sharing context. Do you, have you found that there's kind of this um, economy of scale where because you've ramped up on a project before, when that same person reaches out to you again later, you've already got some of the context? Yeah, that certainly helps. And so you might lose that in agency work if you're starting a new project every six weeks. But if it's longer term work, then then you kind of pay that cost once up front. Breaking out of our code bubbles. I'm stuck on this idea of this context cost, but they don't specifically mention that as a problem in the question. It's just, how do we do this? Yeah. And I think all the ways that you would do it involve spending some time understanding other people's problems. And in return, they will help you understand your problems. So maybe you do like, I don't know, a Friday afternoon review where each each week it's someone else's turn to kind of walk through the project that they're working on and they kind of lay out their code and what they're doing and people give feedback and just some regular scheduled thing where that you get a chance to get feedback from other people. Yeah. Ad hoc pairing is a thing you could do too, or you could do scheduled pairing. Then you have to deal with rotating schedules for five people <laughs> to help pair with each other. Yeah. You could do, I mean, brown bags are a thing that people talk about a lot. You just meet and talk about technical things. I think you're right, Dave, when you mentioned the manager who suggested peer-to-peer mentorship was onto something that everyone knows different subsets of things. And fresh eyes can, in some cases, be just as good as very senior technical experience like someone else who has the same level of experience as you seeing your project for the first time can can teach you just as much in some ways yeah and who knows i mean if you do enough of this it could very well be that even though your projects are different from each other you might actually start to identify cross-cutting threads that can benefit from shared effort or reuse yeah or at least like shared patterns maybe yeah that's a good point if you look at it as our output is the project but it's also the kind of team skill at delivering these projects better you've kind of been focused on the first, but not the second as much. Mm-hmm. And that's something that could unite you. Even if you're all working on different projects, you share the knowledge about how to get these done better. Yeah. Trust falls and <laughs> laser tag are, are good fallbacks. <laughs> okay. So you don't have time to review each other's code or to give context about your projects, but you could at least stand up and fall backwards and have people catch you fall down and see if anyone <laughs> catches you yeah <laughs> i just imagine someone sitting down at a desk standing up and then slowly toppling backwards and they thump as they hit the ground everyone looks over like what why did why did dave just fall to the ground and then you get very offended that no one caught you <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna say a bunch of engineers scramble to run over and catch me no like the perfect outcome well that would happen to you Maybe eventually, maybe after a few, a few good <laughs> you thoughts. Fall enough. <laughs> oh crap! He's falling again. Run! That's his cry for help. He's stuck yeah. on a. <laughs> he's stuck on a tricky concurrency bug. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do some mob programming while they all cradle you. Yeah, that sounds good. What about some kind of like uh, regular cadence demo or architecture review or something? where each developer has to do a presentation on their system that they've been working on. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to suggest earlier with this these weekly weekly show-off things. Oh, yeah. You could even turn those, if you wanted to, into mob programming, which is kind of like pair programming, but with larger groups where lots of people all together work on some code. But it could also be higher level. So it's kind of like pair programming, but it's even less productive. <laughs> <laughs> each person you add has to increase productivity by more than one person's amount of time. (laughs) I think you do it occasionally. 
Okay. Have we answered it? Yeah, I think, think that's pretty much all I would do. I, I will say I have heard this as a relatively common complaint about agencies. Yeah. As is feeling like you're not kind of in the trenches with your team learning together. Right. So I don't think these problems are unique to you. I do think there are solutions, but some of it is also a little bit exacerbated by the environment that you're working in. If not totally caused by it. I mean, I hear this kind of thing a lot. And one thing that makes it really complicated is that it's hard to organize these cross-team or cross-project collaboration efforts because what client do you bill for that time? Yeah. You know, and we talked about this maybe being hourly earlier on, and I think that's very likely to be the case. Maybe your developers are paid a salary, but you're getting billed, or rather your company's revenue model is based on the hours they work for a given client. Yeah. And so if they're spending, you know, three, four hours a week doing this collaboration stuff, it's like, who do we bill? Yeah. Now, the, the slimy CEO might say, Let's just bill both the clients for that time. <laughs> yes. It's pair programming, so it's twice as productive. Yep. So. <laughs> and we're going to bill both of you for two developers. Yeah. Don't do that. I've got no more wisdom in my brain. Okay. I'm, I'm fresh out as well. All I have in my brain is 90s pop hits, <laughs> little snippets of the chorus stuck on repeat. <laughs> I saw the sun. <laughs> my kids have been listening to that song and i would walk 500 miles okay another 90s pop it's a good one Mm -hmm. there you go maybe it's time to introduce them to ace of bass yes (laughs) maybe it is they're ready all right what can people do if they want their own 90s pop hits stuck in their head (laughs) they want their own questions answered go to softskills.audio and click ask a question thank you so much to everyone who's asked questions we will get to all of them we promise eventually and if you want to support the show click that uh, support us on patreon button on the same page and to help people find the show go to your podcasting app and leave a review especially if you are on an apple device that really helps people write a few nice words click the six star button which you know you have to do the konami code first to get that one but (laughs) thanks that's what we uh, really appreciate it helps other folks find the show yeah thank you so much all right we'll catch you next week 